The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. Hey there, listeners. Before we get into this week's very special episode of PSVG Prime, we want to say thank you to all of you listeners out there and your Patreon supporters, of course. But as you know, we are just kicking off the PSVG September to remember, and we've already had some great memorable things happen. Uh, Pear Schneider appeared on the Nintendo Shack board with video games released their 100th episode huge congratulations to those guys uh they all they also announced that they're adding a new patreon exclusive show uh board with everything so pretty awesome and tonight we have another surprise for you but we'll leave that for when we talk about it on the show but we do have to say thank you to all of our patreon supporters each month they get access to some pretty cool things psvg dlc Arcadia Academia, Kevin Hates Everything, now bored with everything, uh, as well as being entered into our Patron of the Month giveaway. Current offerings include a $20 Apex Legends credit. Uh, you can get NBA 2K Playgrounds 2 on Nintendo Switch or $20 to the eShop if you're choosing. And, and of course, the highly coveted PSVG Black Polo shirt is still available now. To get in on all the action and to help support us, head on over to patreon.com PSVG. As you know, we say this all the time. We don't do PSVG to get rich. We're certainly not making money off the Patreon. But what it does is it allows us to do cooler things, reinvest in this show that uh, hopefully all of you love. So thank you to that. And because of your support, this is how we're able to do these really cool things all September long. So big thank you, thank you, thank you to Edwin Callow, Barry Cathcart, Josh Braboni, Chris M., Devin Tyus, Paul Calico, Kyle Heyman, Benny Lou, Joel Voss, Professor Switch, and all of the other Patreon supporters out there. We do this all for you. But now, let's get on to this week's episode of PSVG Prime. You, I promise, are going to love it. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's very special edition of PSVG Prime, the flagship show of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. It is I, your host, Kevin Austin, and with me as always is the Raymond Kenny to my Aiden Pierce, Mr. Lucas Rose. Sir, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. We're not alone. It's no. a special show. We're so, very not alone. <laughs> we're, we're definitely not alone. So continuing on with the Watch Dogs theme, we couldn't do this without a Marcus Holloway. And Mr. Devin Tyus, sir, how are you? I am chilling. It's hot, y'all. Like, I don't think y'all understand. Well, actually, you probably do, but it's still really, really hot. Well, I mean, you're in California, so yeah, you get that. I'm ready (laughs) for fall. You might as well be a world away from me. It's like, it's almost (laughs) fall weather here now in Michigan, so I don't know what you're talking about. Lucas has 100 degrees today still. You have the pumpkin spice lattes out. Lucas is ready to go. He's got his Ugg boots on. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Wearing sweatpants every day. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I do that all the time, but well, I mean, now yeah. I just fit in with everybody else. Well, at least you're wearing <laughs> pants tonight. And and lastly, I mean, come on. You had to know this was coming. We had to throw a wrench in the plan with Sean <laughs> Bechu. Sir, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How's it going? Excellent, excellent. So, it, listeners, if you're not familiar with his work, let's catch you up. Um, sure, we all know game designers, coders help a game and character move, uh, come alive and such, but that's only half of the work. Uh, behind that, 
another piece of the puzzle, if you will, is the actor that gives the human connection, the emotion, the life, the voice to the character in-game. This is where Sean comes into play. Uh, having voiced characters in multiple Assassin's Creed games, Far Cry, Deus Ex, Outlast, the Sean White series, Rainbow Six, For Honor, it goes on and on. But the highlight for me, easily one of my favorite game characters this generation, is the wrench from Watch Dogs 2. But that's not it. He's a certified badass stunt fighter, choreographer, trained in martial arts background, including a black belt in Shotokan karate. Is that correct? Correct, yes. Okay. As well as other styles of boxing, Muay Thai, you know, Northern Shaolin Kung Fu. Your resume is insane. I just have to say that. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, so you know, thank you so much for joining us. You guys check out his IMDb. I'll, I'll link it. If you're not familiar, just look at his resume. It, it surely is nuts. So I guess to start things off. How did you end up on this journey uh, with martial arts and fight choreographing? I mean, that's different. Like, growing up, kids were like, hey, I want to be a fireman. I want to be a police officer. Did you just say, like, I want to kick ass? <laughs> uh, not not per se. Um, my parents actually were always very adamant about their kids being um, active, you know, me and my two sisters. So they enrolled us, you know, they enrolled me in soccer. I didn't really like it. They enrolled me uh, in like uh, competitive swimming. I wasn't too crazy about that. Um, but then they enrolled me in karate and I loved it. Uh, so I started uh, training in karate um, for about five, six years, got my black belt. Um, and that kind of sparked my interest in martial arts. I've always been a big fan too of uh eastern martial arts in general you know the movies action movies all that stuff i grew up with all all those things um so you know i i kind of kept practicing and and i actually started doing fight choreography on my own just with my friends uh it's pretty dangerous stuff now that i look back <laughs> now that i know what i'm doing and i look back uh we were relying heavily on just like skill and a bit of luck and the naivete of youth if you will um we did some good stuff, but it was you know really dangerous. Um, and then I went to theater school, where I studied to be an actor. And in the course of those studies, um, my stage combat instructor, uh, a woman named Kim Barfus, was a wonderful woman who kind of opened my eyes up to the world of of, of stunt fighting and stage combat because they teach that as part of the curriculum. And it's something I'd always you know you're aware of it in movies. You're aware mm -hmm. that people aren't really punching each other out, but you never really stop to think about necessarily about how they do it you know what i mean um and there was quite a lot to it uh so she was at the time uh, training at a certification place called uh, an organization called fight directors canada which is the canadian uh, uh stage fighting association i guess the official one so um i went to one of their workshops a two-week intensive got certified with them at the time uh as a actor combatants i forget the term uh but basically you know an actor who knows how to fight mm -hmm. uh, and from there i just started uh you know i kept practicing studying other martial arts and just kind of gradually learning more and more about it and then doing it with friends of mine who also did uh, stunt fighting or stage combat uh i gradually started teaching stage combat which i still do to this day so i started teaching people how to throw a punch or fall down uh etc and then like projects is kind of came to me which is funny because i never i never set out to go oh i want to be a fight choreographer or i want to mm -hmm. be a stunt guy i i just thought that stuff was fun you know and mm -hmm. uh before i knew it, people were like hey can you come teach teach us what you know at this school or to these people or to coach these people or hey this play is doing you know henry the fourth and they're sword fighting do you want to come sure. 
you know, do the sort of uh, the, the choreography. And that all kind of culminated uh, because, you know, it's a pretty small, tight knit community of actors here in Montreal. So people really know each other, look out for each other. They know what they can do. Uh, so this really great guy who's a voice director here and actually the president of ACTRA, our union, ACTRA Montreal, Simon Peacock, his name is, uh, he suggested me to someone at Eidos who was working on Deus Ex, um, Mankind Divided. And uh, I got the job as the fight choreographer for all of uh, Adam Jensen's takedowns during mm. gameplay. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that, was, that was an amazing job, uh, mostly based on the strength of someone's recommendation, you know, because the, the guy he was talking to was like, well, we need someone who knows video games and who, you know, knows how to fight, but knows how to choreograph, but also who knows motion capture. You know, Simon's like, Sean, 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 Sean. I know just the guy for you. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I met with them, and, and that went off really nicely. And um, I'm really proud of the work I did on that. They had asked me initially for, I think it was 80 different takedowns. So, like, wow. you know, seated, guard is seated, guard is standing, around the wall, through the wall, with cloak, with the Tesla, with super strength, wow. fatal, non-fatal, you know, all these different combos. And <laughs> I was so excited and passionate and, and inspired. Uh, I know I sound like a psychopath because I'm talking about violence here. Like it was inspired, <laughs> uh, but it, I really it's 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 an outlet of creativity I, I really enjoy. Um, you know, if if it's if it's fake violence, right? Uh, I'm not a fan of real violence at all. Um, but you know, they, they asked me for 80 takedowns, and I I think I wound up delivering 200. Oh my god! <laughs> wow. so about going above and beyond. Yeah, well, because they'd be like, okay, seated, you know, can you, we need uh, five seated takedowns. And they'd be like, okay, well, this is cool, and this, and this, and this, and this. Oh, and this, and this. Oh, I've got eight. Let me just send eight. All right, and then we need three of these, but I'd have six. Or we need, you know, just two of these. I'm like, yeah, but these four are really good. Um, so, you know, not not to, not to brag or anything, but, you know, I had I, I had a high volume of, of creativity <laughs> for this project. Uh, so, you know, they stripped it all down in the end. Only I think only 50 or so made it to the game because of, you know, uh, memory sure. or space constraints or, you know, game changes or whatever. Um, but, yeah, you know, so that's that's kind of how I just kind of got pulled from one job to the next in, uh, you know, fight choreography and also a stunt work as well. Like uh, mm -hmm. I do stunt not as much as I do acting, but uh, anything that's fighting, you know, falling down. Anything hand-to-hand, -hand, weapon handling, guns, swords, other weapons, that I'm, I'm really good at and I can do stunts for that. I just don't do the more dangerous stunts like, you know, stair falls, high falls, live burns, uh, car stunts. Because, <laughs> um, you know, A, I don't want to die. Uh, <laughs> That's a good reason. Right? <laughs> uh, you know, I'm passionate about fighting and, and stunt fighting and, and martial arts and weapons and all that. So that's what I focus on. And I leave the more dangerous stuff to the more competent, trained guys who've studied that aspect of, uh, you know, of stunt work. Um, so, yeah, that's how I kind of got into stunt fighting and choreography. Uh, it's almost completely detached from my path as an actor. But at the same time, you know, in the early days at Ubisoft, when I'd be working on, like, the Assassin's Creed games or whatever else, it would happen on occasion that we'd have to do some instant of violence you know, a guard being taken down or someone getting shot in the neck with an arrow or whatever. 
that happens a lot in those games. And uh, <laughs> and so they'd ask me on the spot to choreograph something, to put something together, you know, instead of having a whole big stunt day and getting a whole bunch of people. So I got, you know, known as the guy who could provide that as well. So often when I'd get hired on a job, and this was same thing for Eidos, you know, they'd hire me to, uh, you know, do a speaking part, but also do some non-spoken parts, guards, whatever, and also do some light stunts. Um, just kind of take advantage, I guess, of my uh, versatility, and my skill set when it comes to, to mo- motion capture, especially. So because it's a small community, it just kind of, you know, everyone gets to know everyone after a while. So I kind of became known as like the mocap guy, the actor guy who can do some stunts. So that's kind of how I found my niche, I guess. Nice. So when you're doing the, those, like the stunt coordinating and the motion capture, um, you talked a little bit about Deus Ex and gaming, uh, but also for film, is there a difference when you're doing the stunt coordination for that? And uh, you kind of talked a little bit about the process. Does the process differ at all for film versus gaming? And do you have any challenges that you face in either one of those categories, film or gaming? Uh, they're definitely different. Um, I haven't done a whole lot of stunt coordination for film. Like I've never worked on a feature um mm-hmm. whenever a, a movie shoots here that has stunts they go with you know the the career professional stunt guys there's like maybe three to five of them in montreal that we always work with you know the the, the guys who you know like when yeah. x-men comes here they'll work they'll be the stunt coordinator for x-men for example or you know uh whatever movies shoot here that have a lot of action or violence Right. So those, there's those always the, the package people like exactly. there's always the guy who brings the guy who knows the other guy and then everybody knows each other. Yeah, exactly. I can see that. These guys have their teams. They have their gear. You know, this is their focus, their specialty. Um, my specialty, my focus is mostly performance, acting, voice, mocap. Um, it's like I have a, a specialty in stunts and, and choreography, but it's very selective. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do. Something close to those. I did uh, fight choreography and coordination for a web series called LARPs, uh, which came out a few years ago by a company called Bean Duck. It's really fun web series about a bunch of friends who uh, do LARPing, which is live action. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's it's a really great. You guys actually should really check it out. Um, there's two seasons. I'm in season two. I have a small part in season two as this awesome, crazy, off the wall character named Harold. Who's like a steampunk player. He's he's great. Um, he's really uh-huh. fun. And uh, but uh, most of the work I did was as a stunt choreographer, uh, fight choreographer for the second season. So there's some pretty elaborate fight scenes where the LARPers fight each other or fight, um, you know, NPCs and stuff. Uh, so you know, to me that was you know on a smaller scale. Yeah. Uh, but similar to being you know to to a movie shoot. So um, the chief difference is in motion capture, you have a lot more leeway and latitude for stunts. And because of that, the risk factor goes down quite a bit because you don't have to actually risk your your health, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I can swing a baseball bat to clock you in the head. On film, I'd have to swing and miss you by about six inches and have the camera at a certain angle to, to, to mask the hit. It's called blocking, right? Mm-hmm. And that'll make it look like a hit. Throw in a sound effect and you're good. In mocap, I can be two feet away from you, swing the bat, you react, we capture all the data, and then when we process it, we just 
move those two, uh, you know, figures together. We just cinch them together, kind of rearrange the space between them, and mm-hmm. you can have really vicious connections and hits and all that. When I did the takedowns for Deus Ex, that's exactly how it worked. Some of the stunts were like, you know, uh, I put, I come around the corner, punch a guy in the stomach, grab him, lift him up in the air with one arm, and then oh. <laughs> one arm body slam him on the ground. And it's a cool move, and I'm in pretty good shape, but I can't one arm pick up body slam a guy who's 165 pounds, right? Right. Um, and I couldn't find any kids who wanted to do it, strangely enough. So, uh, <laughs> so what we wound up doing is, um, uh, we, you know, I would do the motion, and then we had like a dummy that we would kind of throw around at the same time, and my friend would stand, you know, I would throw around the dummy rather, and my friend would stand like next to me, and he'd go through the movements as though he was being grabbed by me, but him mm. being in control, he'd, like slam himself down, like throw himself up and then slam himself down onto a mattress, for example, um, on a mat, like a crash mat. Yeah. And then they just kind of mm-hmm. merge those two data sets together and, you know, you have the same, you, you still have realistic movement, but no threat to the, uh, to the actors. So nice. it's easier to do stunts, I find, in, in um, mocap because you can, it's easier to cut. There's no camera per se to worry about. Like uh, yeah. mocap has anywhere from a dozen to 60 plus cameras involved, infrared cameras, oh, infrared. Wow. Uh, and it's just they're bouncing beams of, of infrared light off your markers and back into the receptors that are on the yeah, camera. The, the little dots, right? Yeah, exactly. Those little okay. golf ball looking things that are on the... We uh, got a question from a, sure. a listener named Caro. And I think we've all probably asked ourselves this question when we've seen, <laughs> you know, someone wearing all these little balls or the dots or whatever. So if they're, is it a suit or do they actually stick them on you? Do they itch? Do they fall off all the time and you have to mess with them? <laughs> What is that like? Uh, so the mocap suit is uh, like a lyc- lycra spandex type of, of material. It's stretchy. Oh, it's very sounds... form <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say that sounds uh, great. I <laughs> personally don't find them uncomfortable at all. Um, but I'm used to wearing them. And uh, how can I say this diplomatically? Uh, I guess it depends on your body type. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right? Some body types can wear skin tight clothing more comfortably than others. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that. Uh, so in my case, I, I love it. I feel like a superhero. <laughs> it's like I'm wearing a, <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You either look like a superhero or, or a Homer, Homer Simpson. <laughs> There's no middle ground. No. Um, Homer was Pie Man, though. He was kind of swell that one time. <laughs> that one time. The one but, time. But it, you have to have you know a certain amount of... of uh, self-love and self-confidence because uh, you know it, it does expose you a little i guess uh you know as a career actor i'm used to being vulnerable and exposed in all sorts of situations so i don't really sure. spend a lot of time worrying about that stuff um but you know i've seen uh, I, i've seen um maybe predominantly with women who, who haven't done it before come in and the first time they walk into the suit up room you have this kind of wide-eyed deer in a headlight look where they're like oh my god like everyone can, See every part of me. Uh, I mean, right. it completely covers you. There's nothing indecent about the suit, but it does make you hyper aware of your body, and and consequently, I guess you would imagine other people would be hyper aware of your body as well. But you know, the environments I work in are super professional. Everybody's, uh, no one's inappropriate. Everyone's very, you know, uh, reassuring and competent, and you know, every possible 
and comfort is afforded the actors, you know, if they feel uncomfortable or they need anything, you know, it's, it's never, uh, you know, people are there to work, you know what I mean? So yeah, you, yeah. You, right. you, suit, you pull it on, um, you know, you can wear an undershirt so it doesn't chafe. So I don't, it's not itchy. Um, I wear like a compression shirt underneath, so I don't have it directly against my skin because it might maybe with the sweat and all that kind of give you a bit of a rash. Um, mm. and you do get hot in them cause you know, oh, they're, yeah. they're fitting, right. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, and the, not the most breathable material, but like when I wear a compression shirt, it kind of wicks the sweat out. You know, the mm. those underarm shirts mm. uh, kind of wicks the sweat out, and you're not trapped in this like <laughs> sauna suit, <laughs> let's say. Um, and the exterior of the suit is made of a material that is compatible with Velcro. So mm. uh, once the suit is on, um, they will tight tighten any excessive or folded parts of the suit or stretch it out to make sure that there's nothing bunched on your body because they really need the markers to be faithful continuously to where they are in your body sure. like to not mm. shift the that'll shift the relation of the points to each other and it'll screw up the data the uh, computer won't be able to tell is that your arm is that your leg is that the other guy's leg yeah. um it's very 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 sensitive um so once you're in the suit they'll then put on these markers so those little uh, balls, if you will. They're not as big as golf balls. I said golf balls earlier, but they're more like maybe the size of the tip of your thumb type of thing. Oh, okay. So, so, oh, okay. Pretty small, so little, actually, then. The dots small. that they put on the yeah. face, do they fall off? And how often do they have to be reapplied? Because when they do the motion capture for the face, they're also capturing like your facial movements, right? Correct. Well, that's actually something slightly different than mocap. That's called performance capture um, mm. with the face. And they're not markers on the face we just use uh like well not a pen but like uh some kind of water soluble like a mascara or something to do dots we'll just ah. put the dot on the face oh, right. and then the camera can track those dots and their relation to each other to get the data of like how your mouth and eyes move etc um so the the markers that go on the suit um they're covered in a reflective material that's meant to bounce the infrared light off and back into the cameras. So they'll put all the dots. I don't know how many they put on us, maybe 30, 40, something like that. And uh, mm -hmm. they put out all your articulation points, elbow, wrist, shoulder, and then across your chest, your back, your hips, your legs, your knees, ankles, just so that when you walk into the, it's called the volume. When you walk into the volume where you do all the shooting, the place ringed by cameras, this giant empty space. Um, you can see a monitor, and on the monitor you'll see like a, it's like a, it's like a point cloud, I guess. It's like a, all these different, all these little white points just hanging in space in 3D, but they form like a skeleton, if you will, of okay. the actor. Not an endoskeleton, more like an exoskeleton. <laughs> yeah. For a second. Um, because the dots are on the surface of your body. They're not inside you. Okay. Right. Here, swallow these markers, you know. Um, <laughs> so, Terrible coming out. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to track that as well, guys. Yeah. I guess you need the data for some things. Uh, but right. you you have the all the markers on you, and they have to be in, in very precise relation to each other. It's, it's actually quite, uh, quite a specific thing the technicians do. Like they, you get markers, then you get double checked, then you get verified. Because you know, if you're getting bad data or screwing up the computer, then you're wasting time. And time yeah. is money, especially in a mocap studio. Mm -hmm. It costs a lot of money because it's not just me in a suit 
and a guy at a computer. We have like someone on sound, we have the production manager, we have the, the two or three technicians running the computers, we have the, assist, the set assistant to provide props, uh, you know, resuit you if you lose a marker. Uh, they do come off on occasion. We'll, we'll secure them with these little Velcro patches that have like a hole cut out in the middle. So it'll, the, the markers will fit through the hole and the patch will go over the base of the marker to keep it secured to the suit. Okay. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, and there's some that are padded more so that if you're doing, say, stunts or something with a lot of movement, they won't, like, crinkle and crackle because mm-hmm. they do make a bit of noise and, and audio can pick that up sometimes and ruin your audio. Uh, so once you're all suited up, then you do something called a ROM, a range of motion, where you go into the volume, do all these uh, movements like a routine that work all your articulation points so the computer can get an idea of your natural range of motion. So if the data comes back that your arm's pointing back, you know, 45 degrees, the computer knows like, okay, that's that's not normal. Or <laughs> someone just broke his arm and he's taking it really well. Would you like uh, me to call the police yeah. or the ambulance? <laughs> so, no computer, uh, he's fine. So he, it's uh, you do the range of motion, and I don't know if you ever seen this when 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 they show like footage of people doing motion capture, but something called a T pose where you kind of stand yeah, yeah. either side. And that's meant to be like a, a base position so that whenever the computer starts to lose track of what dots, what in relation to what you T pose and the computer knows like, okay, I know where all the markers go in that pose. So it kind of resets your, your, your data. Uh, so that's why you T pose at the beginning and at the end of every take. Um, so it's actually quite technical. And then um, to comment on the whole facial thing, when you wear a helmet, a motion capture helmet, uh, it has cameras pointed at your face. They put dots on your face with, like I said, a mascara pen. And uh, the cameras record the the movement of your expression. So you don't have to exaggerate it. You just act as naturally as possible, uh, which is wonderful now with mocap. You don't have to exaggerate. You just be, which is awesome. Uh, especially for actors who don't haven't done any mocap, they can just kind of slide right into it. Yeah. Um, and then there'll be a mic attached to the helmet as well that picks up your dialogue. So when it's capturing your face, your body, and your dialogue, that's called performance capture because it's capturing your entire Everything. performance. So on occasion, I'll so often I'll do motion capture. So oh, I'm playing a palace guard or a monster or a civilian or a merchant who's just waving at the player character to come sample his wares. You know, any of those things are just the mocap suit because you don't need a lot of facial data. Mm-hmm. Uh, more and more uh, games are using performance capture for everything just because you just get a lot more uh, information that way. Very nice. Wow. So with that in mind, like, how did you get into voice acting? Like, with your background in martial arts, it seems like a natural fit to go into the stunt court, the stunt and the fight coordination. But, like... What drew you to the voice acting? Did you have like a knack for making voices or impersonations? Like were you the class clown or anything in high school? Uh, well, yes, actually, to, to, to most of what you just said. Um, I should specify that voice acting for me and for actually for most actors I know who, who do voice, it's not – it's just an, uh, a facet. It's just an aspect of everything else we do. Um, like I wouldn't say – I'm a voice actor. I mean, I do voice acting, but I'm an actor because I do film, I do television, I do theater, I do dubbing, I do original voice for animation, I do video games, I do motion capture. Um, so 
the voice acting is like an opportunity that pops up as part of most of the opportunities I'm offered as an actor. I mean, I have an agent and a wonderful woman and, you know, she'll submit me projects will come to her desk and she will submit me, submit me for various projects based on what she knows of what I can do. Uh, so, you know, she's like, Oh, they need someone who can fight. I'll put Sean in or, Oh, it's, uh, it's, uh, a cartoon show and, uh, you know, Sean's good at voices. So she'll suggest me. Um, it is indicative to me that I've kind of drifted into the fields, my career that I'm, that the ones I work the most in are the ones I'm best at. Right. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I like doing film, but I don't do a lot of film. I don't get a lot of or any like leads in movies, for example, or television. If I'm on TV or in a film, I'm the paramedic, the cop, the detective, you know, fun parts, but that's about it for me, you know? Whereas video games, I can get leads or supporting characters, motion capture, I could play like a whole bunch of characters, a whole bunch of different characters in the game. Um, you know, the, 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 the voice gig I had today that I went to before, uh before this uh, this podcast was um <laughs> they called me and i didn't even know what the project was that i'm like they're like sean you worked on this a few months ago i'm like oh yeah right okay cool then they played me like a reference of the voice i did for a character i'm like oh, okay i remember that so like i i did that <laughs> and then they're like okay you're not i need you to do this character and you're like this i can't give it away but like this weird weird like not you know not like oh you're a mailman you know it's like you're a you know a rock monster barbarian you know <laughs> yeah you stand rock monster barbarian scenario and it's like you got to come up with a voice right then and there and you got to you know do the lines properly and we didn't have a lot of time um but you know that's those are all things i'm good at right mm-hmm. um yes i was the class clown <laughs> uh, you know, I was the guy they picked on until they realized I had more value to the bullies as mm-hmm. someone who made them laugh. <laughs> then they stopped picking on me. Um, I'm, I've always been really good at doing voices. I'm really good at imitating voices, like impersonations or copying uh, vo- voices or tones. Uh, dialects as well. I have a real facility with dialects. So I've played and done voice work for dozens and dozens of dialects that's not you know canadian guy um, <laughs> french canadian to to various american dialects to to british to uh, you know mexican uh iraqi uh asian dialects like I've, I've i've done you know not on film obviously i don't play asian people on film um, <laughs> but i've played on occasion like a bit of japanese accent once for a part i played in deus ex for example uh, mm-hmm. uh, sorry no, not, not japanese it was chinese um like i think it was a mandarin accent or something but uh the point is like that's always been my facility and same thing with physical stuff i'm really my strength is in copying uh things i see like getting inspired by them so you know i do play a lot of video games i love video games i've always been a big fan so i, I kind of also know what's expected of that type of performance you know what i mean yeah um, so i kind of merge all that together so when when opportunities pop up uh you know the ones i excel at that i'm best at and most passionate about i tend to book or book more at least so mm. yeah I find myself getting a lot of motion capture work a lot of voice work a lot of dubbing work um that those are like my fortes uh, so yes, I mean I'm absolutely a voice actor, but it's never something I pursued. 
mm-hmm. just something I was more successful at, say, than film or let's say theater, which there isn't a ton of here anyway, and it doesn't pay, you know, pay all that well. Um, mm-hmm. The main theaters do, but there's like only two major theaters here. Um, and that's a whole other kind of kettle of fish uh, to fry. But, uh, you know, it's the things I've become successful in are the things I love the most. So to me, it's perfect. I don't have any regrets about, you know, the, the aspects of my career that aren't as flourishing. And the advantage is I'm really diversified in what I can do. So on any, you know, in any given week, you know, the, this this last week was super hectic for me and I got someone calling me say hey we're doing a web series can you come be a stunt coordinator and then it was like hey can you come audition for this dubbing series by Netflix that's coming to Montreal and we want to find actors to do the the parts from I think Portuguese into English or something they, they do the translation mm-hmm. um, but you know like it's always different things as opposed to film audition, film audition, or commercial, 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 commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and I get more excited when I hear I have a, a mocap audition or a voice audition, because not only am I good at those things, but I have more success. So this, the feedback loop is I'm like, oh, I have a better chance because of it, of of, of succeeding. Right. And again, because it's a small community here, people really know what you can do. And the guy who called me into the job I did today was 100% certain I'd be able to handle everything they threw at me. And he was right. Again, not to brag, but you know, I did a really good job. I'm really happy with what I did. The client was super happy. He was laughing, you know, uh, well, really laughing when he was supposed to laugh, rather. Right. <laughs> That's what matters, really. That's a much better feeling than the alternative. Yes. Yeah, that, that one doesn't happen too often, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> um, so out of all of these characters that you have given life to, that you have voiced, um, do you have one that's most memorable or maybe your most favorite that isn't necessarily like what people say, oh, yeah, you, you did this voice? It doesn't have to be the most popular one. What is your personal favorite? That's a great question. Um, you know, you see that all the time with celebrities, you know, like Elijah Wood, be like, Frodo! <laughs> he's like i've done other <laughs> movies Excuse me. um there's, there's my one um but you know i've seen actors like really really appreciate people like seeing their indie work or stuff that had more value to them i mean people can get famous for you know playing you know famous characters but it might not have as much value to the actor you know like they, they much prefer this this you know deep dive into the duality of man that he got to explore. <laughs> right. In the type of thing. Now, there's less of that I find in the video game industry. Not to say they're not well-written games, um, but, uh, and they're getting more rich and, and more complex characters, which is awesome. Mm. But for me personally, um, I don't think I have a single character I like the most because so many different characters I've played mean different things to me. Um, so like Machiavelli, for example, who I played in Assassin's Creed 2 and Brotherhood, um, he's the first char- mocap character I've ever played. So he was my first time doing mocap, uh, also doing such a large role because he was pretty present in the series. Mm-hmm. So he has a really special place in my heart also because I was all over that game, I was Machiavelli, I was Father Maffei, I was Duccio, I was also like people in the game, like guards and soldiers and stuff. So 
whenever I see Machiavelli, it reminds me more of a time mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. an experience, nice. or a, let's say. Uh, whereas Outlast, the first Outlast game, that's the first lead I ever got in a video game. Um, and, you know, when I showed it to the studio, I got, got I booked the, uh, you know, the game, but my agent either didn't know or didn't tell me who I booked. So when I showed up, I, my audition was okay. I thought, I, I didn't think I did great. Uh, so when I showed up, I'm like, ah, you know, they're just going to give me like a soldier or some mm. schmuck who gets like, you know, <laughs> in the first act or something. Yeah. And, you know, I'm talking to the director because I know him. Um, just before we go in, I'm like, who, who am I playing, by the way? He's like, he's like, you're the lead, dude. Like, I'm like, what? He's like, the lead guy. <laughs> it's, and I'm like about to step into the studio to start recording, you know. Not that I needed to prepare much anyway because, I mean, you don't get the text beforehand or anything. Right. Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was such a – you know, I had a giant smile on my face. That's for sure. Uh, you know, I didn't know that you're – the main, you know, it's like having a lead in a, in a film, you know, like I, I probably enjoy video games more than I enjoy movies by this point. So to me, to have success in, in that field, to me, is as valuable as being successful in, in movies. There's less fame attached to it sure. because less yeah. of you recognizably use your voice, your body, which I use a lot of, but people don't, you know, see me walk walking down the street and go, that guy moves like Machiavelli. Whereas you can recognize a star instantly, <laughs> but I also don't mind it because I love having my privacy in my life. And I mean, mm-hmm. not that I'm yeah. not that the stuff I've done makes me famous or famous enough for that to be an issue. If I was recognizable, um, but you know, being famous is, it changes your life um, and not always for the best like it's it's you know your privacy tends to go down the toilet you tend to attract more and more people to scrutinize your life which increases Mm -hmm. the chance of you getting people who are a bit unwell or who project onto you certain unhealthy expectations or you know what i mean um Mm -hmm. i've been really lucky that the the small fandom i have on twitter and instagram they're all like super nice super supportive people I'm talking to some of them right now actually <laughs> uh, this is why i do this actually is because this community is so wonderful i don't ever feel like people are trying to take advantage of me or right. uh, you know no one's ever really been inappropriate or crossed the line with me or had expectations of me or you know because people tend to claim ownership almost sometimes if people mm-hmm. they enjoy you know especially mm-hmm. yeah they when YouTube and, and, you know, social media brings creators so much closer to the user, right? It used yeah. to be, I go to the theater, I pay some money, I sit in, in the theater, I see Arnold Schwarzenegger on the screen, he's a Terminator, awesome. But in my mind, I'll never meet him. I'll never see right. him, I'll never talk to him. Maybe at a red carpet, I'll wave at him, you know what yeah. I mean? Maybe if I scream Arnold, he'll look over and shoot me some finger guns, you know, and I'll be like, <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> now, you can just, I can tweet at Arnold. You're like, mm-hmm. hey, man, I love yeah. Terminator stuff. Or I could be a douche about it, you know, because uh, people do that too. So yep. mm-hmm. yeah. I wouldn't stand in line at a movie theater mm-hmm. and wait for Arnold to come out and go, I think you suck, right? You wouldn't do that because <laughs> you got to face him and there's consequences potentially. But, you know, social media kind of strips all that away. So it's great because it gives this immediacy of access to creators and and the return for the fans is awesome and for the creators too you know like to me 
communicating with fans has been an awesome 99.9% positive experience, fan art opportunities, you know, real tangible friendships, like the whole deal. Um, I had a friend come to Montreal this last weekend from England because she came to visit and she's someone I know entirely through Twitter and hung out three times. Right. Um, because I was in town and I happened to be free and, you know, took the time to, to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just say that, you know, it's very positive. But the negative part is people tend to sometimes get a bit carried away with asking for people's time or right. yeah. most people will be respectful, ask me questions if they want. Great. I'll engage. And then they'll respectfully be like, anyway, man, have a great day. Thanks for talking to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll take a of your time type of thing. Whereas some people are like, ooh. I have your attention. Great. As long yeah. as you answer me, I'm just going to keep asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes you kind of have to like parse that out a bit and you know what I mean? But again, it's, it's been a really, really, uh, a really wonderful thing. Um, so uh, I went on a huge tangent here talking about social media. Uh, what was, what was the initial? Uh, <laughs> Is this initial? a bad time to bring up that I have a script I've been working on that I want to send your way? <laughs> yeah. That's a great voice. 9%. Yeah, that 99.9% right 9% good. I'm sorry? <laughs> I was going to say that 99.9% good. The reason it's not 100% is because at this moment right now, uh, Lucas yeah, has a yeah, script sorry. he wants to send you. Point one, dude. Point one percent, <laughs> finally, in my life. I've got this treatment I want to send your way. <laughs> yeah. Just trying to get it off the ground. I think this thing's got wheels, you know? Really go places. <laughs> but, you no. know, that's the, oh. joking aside, that is um, – you know, something I do get asked quite a lot is how do I become a voice actor? How do I get into mocap either from people online or just up and coming actors here in Montreal? Um, and I'll take time to, to, you know, talk to people, give them feedback, meet with them or coach them. If, if people want to you know, show up for that and, and get some quality one-on-one that'll help them book roles and stuff. Uh, you know, that's, it's something I do when I went through the theater program at Dawson, they set up a mentorship program where they hooked us up with established working actors that we could, you know, call up, meet with for coffee. This is before social media, so you couldn't like text message them or anything. But, right. you know, meet for coffee. Hey, uh, can you give me tips on getting an agent or what do you think of my CV or uh, what would you do in this situation? And I really, really appreciated someone kind of helping me transition from the safety and security of school where you always have a yeah. part of a, a, a part to play and lines to learn to the yawning chasm of nothingness <laughs> the acting industry, if you don't know what the hell you're doing, uh, it helped kind of transition me, you know, ease me into to doing that. So it's something I have always wanted to kind of give back in a sense. So I tend to take the time to talk to people and, and help people out and, you know, see what I can do. It is funny, though, that when people do ask me in earnest, or I think in earnest, or like, how do I, how do I become a voice actor? I'm like, okay, well... Uh, you know, you got a, you know, do you have any theater training experience? No. Okay. Well, uh, do you have an agent? No. All right. So you can take some voice lessons and, you know, maybe take some dramaturgy classes and then, you know, get yourself a voice demo together and then get an agent. And then, and then usually by the second line, their eyes are glazed <laughs> over, right? As I don't re- want to do all that. Yeah. yeah. I think they're hoping I go like, oh yeah, next time I go into the studio, why don't you come with me? And I'll like, <laughs> right. something, you know, can I just piggyback off you? It, that's, you know, and it doesn't, work that way um i'm yeah. not likening voice acting to like you know 
neurosurgery or anything, but, you know, doctors aren't like, hey, why don't you come take a cut on the patient? Try it out. See what you, do. you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I mean, lives are at stake, clearly, when, I'm, we're, when we're voice acting. But there is quite a lot of technique to it. Like, you know, you, you mentioned mm -hmm. earlier, you know, you did a lot of voices as a kid. Yes, I did. Um, but that was my, my basis, my starting point, you know. Mm -hmm. From mm -hmm. there, I learned, you know, text analysis, dramaturgy, uh, you know, concepts in, in working a scene, like status or what do you want, motivation, tactics to get you know like body language that goes with text delivery when you're doing physical acting like motion capture or film or theater you know all those other aspects improv movement dance singing theater history even even all these things i studied in school which in the moment i'm like who cares about renaissance italy like what <laughs> turned out Machiavelli <laughs> did. But it, you never know um you know, and the ability to, to kind of apply what works for you to your craft. And then you add to all that experience, just life experience. Just get out there, fail 100 times, fail 200 times, get rejected, get self-doubt, have an existential crisis. Do whatever you need to to find your fortitude, to pick yourself back up again, to, to find your successes and to build on them. You know, something I've been able to consistently do in my career which, you know, if I consider I graduated in 1997. So I've been at this for over 20 years, you mm -hmm. know, working as a professional actor, I'd say maybe for the last 12, which means the first 10 was, oh, you're an actor. Cool. What restaurant? You know, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah. that's true for me and everyone. You know, some knocked yeah. out of the park, park right out of the gate. Uh, other people worked hard and made it. Some people never made it. Um, you know, it's different for everyone. Uh, but, you know, I put in my time, paid my dues, had my failures, had my doubts, did those indie films for free, made those connections, wrote that script that went nowhere, did that indie theater festival and had a tremendous hit or did that one and, and fell flat on my face. And all these things kind of build together and make you into the actor that you are eventually. Uh, and then when opportunities show up, I find the older I get the better I am at assessing an opportunity and my, my worth, like in regards to that opportunity, I guess. Um, so <laughs> actually it comes full circle with what I was saying earlier. Something my mentor told me, um, this wonderful man named Marcel Janet, who's a wonderful uh, Montreal based actor, uh, does theater, film, video games, the whole deal. Uh, I ran into him some years later when I wasn't really calling on him anymore to, for mentorship. And he said, you know, how you doing? How's it going? I said, it's going well. And he said, it gets easier, doesn't it? Right. And it's not a concept that I ever really thought about. I'm like, no, acting's hard. You're always, you know, up against impossible odds. And, you know, it's almost like playing the lottery in a sense. But he was right. It does get easier because you get more confident and you believe in yourself more. And, you know, the, the more I was this earlier is that the further I get in my career, every time I stop and look back, I've always gone up. Right. I've always mm -hmm. climbed more steps towards, you know, whatever. <laughs> There's no top. I made it. I won acting. Right. I, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a thing. But, you know, I have to keep pushing myself further and you know upwards to, to, to keep working I think uh, you know the challenges I face as an actor is, is to always keep doing more stuff but you know I'm always moving upwards like if you look at a uh, like a financial like a growth 
chart for like a company's stocks or like an investment you have, there'll be dips, but it's always trending upwards, you mm-hmm. know, unless it's like Enron or something. Then you, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it trends up. So when you're in those dips, it can be hard. You know, I said existential crisis earlier. <laughs> I wasn't kidding. I, I don't make a habit of this, but, um, Shortly after, I, uh, my wife and I bought a duplex uh, with some friends of ours, uh, my really good friend Greg and his, his spouse, Allie. Um, so they own the downstairs part. We own the upstairs part, and we share the yard and the basement. It's a wonderful arrangement. They're really good friends of, of mine. We game together, so it's great. We have communal space as well. Um, uh, anyway, so I had moved in, hadn't been long that I'd moved into, you know, I had a mortgage for the first time in my life. I had mm-hmm. a mortgage today. Uh, and I woke up at like three in the morning and I was like, what the hell am I doing? I'm an actor. And I just bought a duplex. Like, I'm like, crazy. <laughs> how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to pay for this? There's no guarantee. I may never work again. You know what I mean? It's funny. Sure. This was before I actually got a uh, wrench, I mm-hmm. think. So go Shaw wrong I was, uh, but it's just the weight of the realization of, of the uncertainty of what I do kind of can come crashing in sometimes. Cause you know, it's not like I passed the bar. I'm now a lawyer. There will be work for me. Right. You know, what I mean? like maybe it's going to be a low season in Montreal and not a lot of work. And the four projects that do come, they're just not, I'm, I'm not right for them or they don't want to see me for whatever reason. Uh, you know, I'm too tall, I'm too short, I'm too handsome. You never know. Uh, <laughs> it's true. It's true. You got to know the the tool set you're working with and, and understanding that as an actor is, is probably the perfect way of doing it. So speaking of tools, back to Wrench. So sure. I, I, I'm going to steal a little oh, bit that here. that segue. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. That's that's what I do here. Very, very punny. Um, so guilty pleasure here. I'm going to I'm going to engage, indulge myself here. So Wrench, my, my favorite character in Watch Dogs franchise by far, hoping somehow he ends up in Watch Dogs Legions. I don't want to see how they would even work, but I don't care. I'd love for it to happen. Spoilers ahead, everybody. Throughout most of the game in Watch Dogs 2, he's like the main source of comic relief and provides some of the most memorable moments in the game. But there's one certain mission where it's drastically different. Uh, Watch is the mission. Um, where uh, he loses his mask. Uh, there's no jokes at all in this portion. Um, you see him for the first time, like really see him, and there's a birthmark or scar prominent on his face. It's 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 the first time you realize how layered and developed his character is, especially for what would be considered a, a side character, yeah, a very main character, but ultimately you're not playing as him except for like one mission. Yeah. What guidance did you get in the process about the character of Wrench and his persona, like background? Did you have any input in how it came to be, like, or was it just like, here's the lines, make it happen? Uh, that's actually a, a really good question. Um, my path to playing Wrench wasn't like a your standard process to getting a part. That you know, usually when a game is being made. They'll do something called a vertical slice, which is uh, – I don't want to condescend if you guys know absolutely what I'm talking about. But for those who don't know what I'm talking about, a vertical slice is like a, it's like a, a, a thin slice, a thin portion of the game that has a bit of characters, some, some gameplay mechanics, a bit of world build, a development, like a bit of – you know, um, so you see what the graphics are like, what the gameplay is like. Um, you know, it's like – so, like, a mission, let's say, in Watch Dogs. Sure. Watch Dogs, okay. mm-hmm. a mission. 
would be a vertical slice. You get to see how the protagonist handles, maybe a bit of parkour, some hacking, a bit of shooting, a bit of team chat with with DeadSec, and then you know there's a little cutscene to introduce it. Maybe ends with one, and then boom, you're done. And you you make vertical slices to kind of sell the game to the uh, heads of production. Sure. So uh, they were making a vertical slice of Watch Dogs 2, which was meant to go to the producers who would then take a look at it and go, we like this, we don't like that, change this, keep that, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the person in charge of – it's a bit convoluted. I, I don't want to make this too long a story. So basically I worked on the first Watch Dogs as well. I had a mm-hmm. few small parts in it. Uh, I'm the guy with the tattoos on his face who gets – uh, stabbed by Jordy at the beginning of the oh, game in the baseball okay. stadium. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, guy with mm-hmm. gun, and then he threatens him in prison later mm-hmm. when he's getting beat up. That's me. Uh, I also played like uh, this pimp who's getting arrested in the uh, <laughs> stadium. Bunch of guards and a bunch of and a whole bunch of living world characters. So uh, people in the on the street. A lot of those spying missions when you see people in their apartment doing yeah. all sorts of weird stuff. I was often the guys in that. Uh, uh-oh. <laughs> in those scenes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very creative, very creative. Um, so I worked on the game, and then when they did, I believe it was some DLC for the game, mm-hmm. uh, the, um, the one with T-Bone, I forget T-Bone. what it's called, Bad Blood. Yeah. When they did Bad Blood, uh, I worked on Bad Blood, and the guy who directed Bad Blood was the guy who was like assisting on the first shoot, but he was now directing the second shoot. And then that guy was in charge of the vertical slice for Watch Dogs 2. Oh, nice. So when they got the script, uh, he said, I know the perfect person to play this guy, Sean. I worked with him before. I like him. I'm sure he could do this. And what's interesting about that choice is Wrench was initially written as kind of more what you would expect based on his looks, mm-hmm. a gruff, tough you know, a muscle, you know, the muscle who kicks ass, you know, yeah. and the director is like, that's super boring and yep, super right. predictable. And why don't we take this exterior and merge it with something really unexpected? I guess a subversion of expectation, if you will. Um, so that's what he did. He, he, he transposed and, you know, cause he also knew my comedic uh, side, my, my ability to improvise my physical comedy skills. Cause that had come up, jokingly during the other shoots or for certain things we did uh so he's like i want you to cut loose just go crazy and i never get the chance to do that oh. it's always too big for film too big for tv yep. and games <laughs> are usually very serious i don't play guards or like whoa i'm crazy <laughs> right um so it was a dream come true so i just gave it my all and you know in all modesty i think i really killed it as wrench yes. uh and they had someone else had been cast initially as Marcus. Um, they sent that up the chain. And I left the production thinking, I did a great job, but they're not going to keep me. Once they produce the game, they're going to get a more known celebrity, someone, you know, with a bit more clout to sell the game. That, that's the trend nowadays is to, to try to hire more yeah. voice actors, um, which isn't always the best idea, but it, it depends on the project. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, I just kind of put out of my mind. And then next thing I knew, my agent said, look, they're, they're keeping you. They want to keep you as Wrench because they just love your performance so much. And I do remember uh, when I left when I left the studio and everything, they can replace me if they want. But if they right. are going to, <laughs> good luck because <laughs> that's a tough fact to follow. Again, 
I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but you know, that particular combination of energy, mm-hmm. physicality and comedy, you know, you don't encounter that very often. Um, so I thought I brought something to the character that you would probably wouldn't find very easily. And I was right. Uh, they did recast the, all the other parts, but they kept me as wrench. And I was the nice. only local Montreal hire. Everyone else was from Toronto, oh. New York, Vancouver, um, which is customary. Ubisoft tends to, to mm-hmm. get actors from outside uh, outside the city. So that was wonderful. So I got so I kind of got kept on as wrench. So he evolved through that kind of organic process where the director and I discovered him together. He actually. <laughs> careful what you wish for, had to scale me back a bit. (laughs) Some of it was just too crazy, right? But we really found his tone pretty easily. And we had a lot of freedom to bring our own ideas uh, and how to interpret the text. Um, And once the writers knew I was on as Wrench, they actually, I think two of them, started retooling and writing new or different text for Wrench based on my vast love and knowledge of pop culture and nerd oh nice that's awesome huge nerd right so when he writes you know could win in predator versus alien i didn't come up with that but i know exactly what it's talking about you know well the yamcha stick is a you know so that you know that all that's very me you know so and I banter continuously with the writers. We talk about, you know, He-Man and video games and Transformers and G.I. Joe and role-playing and science fiction and Star Wars, and you name it. Um, so they had such a wealth of stuff to, to mine from my fertile imagination, from my sensibilities. A lot of it made it into the script, uh, to the game. To their credit, I never really came up with like, oh, guys, do a bit about this, right? Whatever they brought, I was just so on board. Um but a few things I, I got to change or tweak a bit um, and, and mostly just like interpretive, you know, interpretation things. Like a good example is um, I think in one of the videos, I think it was in, in one of the uh, preview uh, trailers for Watch Dogs. There's a shot of Wrench kind of uh, like bending at the hip and doing like uh, after you like big yep. uh, <laughs> and, and Mark is like, well, why thank you? Did like a little skip. Mm-hmm. He walks, yeah. right? <laughs> Uh, like that, for example, in the script, it says Marcus is talking to Tass to um, Tara. Tara, Tara, thank there you. Yeah, <laughs> hey, Like three quarters of your listeners are all like screaming to yes. Tara <laughs> right now. Um, uh, I just lost like 50 followers. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so, <laughs> so he's talking to Satara, and it says, you know, his dialogue, her dialogue, and then it says, Wrench walks up to them, says, "Hey, man." Um, the car's ready. And then Marcus says, cool, let's go. And then he's like, all right, see you later. And then Wrench leaves and Marcus follows him, right? But I see that and I'm like, okay, but there's so much more you can do yeah, with that, right? Lame. Yeah. <laughs> Shoot it. I walk up and I'm like, your carriage awaits, sir. You know, and I <laughs> mm-hmm. the whole thing. And, you know, uh, Ruffin, who played Marcus, is one of the most generous actors I've ever worked with. He is so present. You can throw anything at this guy and he will just take it and run with it uh so he seamlessly like that was one take i'm pretty sure he seamlessly kind of just picked up the ball ran with it and off we skipped and it made for a nice little character moment yeah um it's awesome and you know things like that kind of fist bump they do Mm -hmm. a lot throughout the game like Mm -hmm. i came up with that 
I just said, hey, man, we need some kind – if we're buds, we need some kind of thing that's our thing because I have that with my friends. You know, We have a, a handshake or a thing we do when we see each other. Or, you know, if my friend says something funny, you know, fist bump them type of thing. So, you know, all these little details we added in to flesh out the world and our relationships to each other. The director uh, was really open and encouraging of us to do that kind of thing. So, you know, also like Wrench's relationship with uh, Josh, like I I fell in love with John, the actor in in the uh, shooting of this thing, because he's one of the most wonderful, generous, caring men I've ever met so open all the time. Um, so we like really hit it off. And we're really good friends now. Like we, we, we went hang out. He finally moved back to Montreal from Toronto. So we hang out now, which is great. Uh, but like all this stuff with Josh and wrench, you know, we just kind of improvise. See what, you know, we, we had this nice, again, a history we developed between us that I think is never focused on in the game, but it's mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I love is the details are there. If you look for them, they're there, you know. Um, so when it came time to do the the mask scene, um, yeah. I initially my approach was a lot more emotional, a lot more uh, vulnerable, and a lot more devastated. And Jean-François Rivard was our uh, director, who was a wonderful, wonderful man, who does not get enough credit for really being the glue that just assembled dead sec and had us work so well the glue and the oil though because like that well-oiled machine of dead sec like he yeah he did such a great job of giving us like real tangible relationships and moments in the game so he was really good at restraining me just pulling me back a bit and letting me loose at all the right times like his instincts for that were were, were great and as an actor that's my favorite thing is direct me challenge me give me notes give me you know goals to attain and then let me bring in my own version of that, my interpretation of that direction. And then you get this triumvirate, right? The Holy Trinity between the writer, the director and the actor, which to me, you know, is greater than the sum of its parts that without, you know, if I was writing it, it wouldn't be as good. And if I was directing myself, it wouldn't be as good type of thing. So you add those two elements to it and you get these really heartfelt, performances so he really grounded the character that moment between marcus and i was really intense and there's a few more in the game too like when spoiler alert uh horatio dies mm-hmm. uh that whole i thing. like we were all like bawling our eyes out when we yeah. shot it just because you know believe it or not the actor who played horatio didn't actually die um <laughs> oh well that that removes the whole sentiment <laughs> of the whole thing yeah now. just Jeez, i'm over it now completely up, guys um but you know just because we had this wonderful uh, synergy and every no one was afraid of being vulnerable, of being open, that we could all go to this really heartfelt place. And again, I thought that was really captured and, and made it into the game in a lot of ways. So a lot of our like even our lighter moments too, you know, joking or when they're doing the launch with the satellite there and then wrench is like <laughs> keeps bugging people like yep. <laughs> or when I'm like, oh, I'm, we're going to watch the cyber driver preview. Like, I love that. Stuff. Just yep. kind of worked on it organically. You know, the director just let us kind of do our thing. And then he just steps in little tweak here, little tweak there, a couple technical tweaks too, because we'd have cameras in this space filming us to kind of help them cut the scenes together, which they do sometimes in mocap. Um, yeah, and you can worked. definitely feel all of that, like with the characters, like just how close 
like the the it was between the actors like you can feel that when you're playing the game like they really feel real mm-hmm. which yeah. you don't get a lot of times when you have multiple characters like they all felt genuinely real like they could be real life people and they had this relationship which is probably one of my favorite parts of the game and you know watchdogs I mean, watchdogs 2 kind of opened in the shadow of the first watchdogs because of you know whatever controversies surrounded that game yeah release but also character plot uh, you know uh, performance of certain characters and stuff like not everyone was on board with everyone or with mm-hmm. eight or whatever um yeah. i enjoyed the game quite a lot um, Me too. and yeah. not just because i was in it but you know i enjoyed playing the game i loved the concept mm-hmm. uh I had high hopes that it'd be some kind of Assassin's Creed tie-in futuristic sure. thing. Still right. waiting on that. Still waiting. <laughs> never know. Um, <laughs> but because it had this kind of tainted aspect to it, it, it I think it hurt Watch Dogs 2 pre-sales. Yeah. So the, the, the game did well, but it only did well later when word of mouth got out. Yes. So like, this game's a really good game. And, you know, they enhanced the hacking and the graphics were better. Uh, but the one salient thing that always came back to me as people's favorite thing was always the same thing which was dead sec the supporting cast mm-hmm. the yep. relationship to each other and to the main character the player's investment in them like countless people telling me like every time i got to the hangout i'd go and talk to each character yep absolutely yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. necessary to the missions they're not mission givers necessarily it's just exposition but people are like, oh, I talk to Wrench as much as possible because I can't get enough of talking yeah. to him. And plus, you know, every time I recorded something for Wrench for these things, there's always these wonderful, irreverent, crazy, funny, you know, things I got to, to do. And <laughs> I don't know how to say this and not sound like an ego case, but <laughs> I was okay. going to say it. Uh, I think it's a testament to, you know, the appeal of Wrench that I <laughs> – Yes. The guy who played him, who did his lines in studio, when I played the game, and I'd go up to him and I'd talk to him. <laughs> I'd, I'd like laugh and I'd be like pleasantly surprised because you know I don't get to hear the result of my work mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. I play the game, right? They don't do like a screening like with a movie where like right. we're gonna play through forty hours of gameplay, and show you everything. <laughs> get comfortable. Um, so it was, you know. Yes, I'm being critical at the same time and be like, oh, God, I hope this came out well. But with him, like, I just got to relax and just enjoy the performance to the point where, you know, I'd seek him out. I'd do the same thing players would do. And I don't think it was for narcissistic reasons because I like to hear myself talk. But I think it's it was for this. It had the same appeal to me right. that it had for other people. So I understood that appeal. And I think an additional thing that Wrench has that makes him appealing is. I call it the Iron Man effect, right? When I was a kid, Iron Man was my favorite hero because I could be Iron Man. Anyone could be underneath that mask. Anyone could be right. in the suit, right? I didn't build him, but if Tony Stark showed up and said, here, you know, take take the suit, then I could fly around and, and be Iron Man. So Wrench could also be anybody. Anybody could be under that mask. It could be you, you know, um, it could be, could be a, a woman. It could be someone who's not white or non-binary like it's you know it's it could be anyone and it's easier to invest in a character to project into them the less physically defined they are Mm -hmm. personality wise sure people identify with wrench in a huge way this whole like i'm you know i'm 
I'm depressed and I'm anxious and I hide behind a thing, but this kind of also his hiding behind the mask empowers him to kind of, mm-hmm. he's almost an extrovert if you think about it in how he interacts with the world. But you see without all the trappings, he's just some damaged guy. You know what I mean? And so many people who've talked to me about wrench identify with that aspect. Mm-hmm. of them. It's rare. Oh, it's like, Oh, I love how he's a hacker or I love how <laughs> he loves, you know, the predator. It's, it's about, I love how he deals with people or how he doesn't give a shit or how he loves, fiercely protects the people who are close to him. Yeah. Um, but yeah. just screw you to the world uh, attitude for the rest. You know what I mean? A lot of people identify with that with that feeling. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I think he has a lot of appeal for that reason. And, you know, the other characters too, but they're more specific. Like a lot of people probably in a more profound way, identify with Josh, people who are autistic, who don't get oh, representation. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I've had fans who, you know, who are autistic, who just, you know, I've seen letters or, or tweets they've sent to John just thanking him for finally, you know, not only did Watch Dogs provide a character that they can identify with, but he was treated with respect. Right. He, yeah. he, he, Absolutely the game in a way that they could see themselves in the game as well you know what i mean um so i think all those little elements those really human relatable elements were just so real and genuine and you know i'm super pro diversity rep- representation i think that's super important and i i think it's happening more and more and i think that's wonderful mm-hmm. um but i find sometimes it looks it just feels I'm not saying we shouldn't be doing it, but sometimes in certain specific circumstances, it feels a bit forced. forced like, you know, like yeah. those, yeah. those uh, you know, like a, a poster for some product aimed at, you know, teenagers. And it's like, you know, a black guy, a Chinese girl, a white guy. <laughs> and, a it's like, yeah. and that's great. But it's like, I don't really ever see you know, like, give me like four black guys or something or, yep. you know, uh, two Chinese people and, uh, you know, a trans person or, you know, I like. Call- I call that the Power Rangers effect. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, you do see that more and more also. Um, but, like, when it's that apparent, I find it's less – it's harder for some people – like, I accept it, but it's harder for some people to get past that. They'll see it as tokenism or pandering, mm-hmm. right? I find DeadSec, it feels so organic. Yes, Maybe yeah. because you'd expect people who identify as outcasts or ostracized people to flock together and, and find kinship, mm-hmm. I think. Maybe that's why it feels more organic. But there's something about – I mean I could also be very biased because you know, I love <laughs> in it. Um, but I find it's, it's – it's, they just kind of hit the right tone with DeadSec. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, again, yeah. is the director who doesn't have enough credit for, for kind of – bringing all that together amen yeah so we have two more questions for you if you've got time yeah. cool so at like this point in your career being you know a little more well known does developer just call you because like we see a lot of ubisoft on your resume so they have you like on speed dial <laughs> um and like the games where you play multiple characters is it just like okay we'll go ahead and throw shot on this or do they call you in specifically to play multiple characters and have you ever had a moment where you're like, you get the script and you're like, you want me to do what now? 
Every question you ask me, I'm like, I have a story. I have a story. I have a story. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yes. To all those questions, you tend to ask me multiple questions that all have the same answer. That's awesome. Great questions, by the way, guys. Um, I've done a few of these, and uh, no disrespect to other pod- podcasts I've done, but uh, sometimes the same questions tend to pop up. You know what I mean? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, you know, but this guy, this is – it's I like it because you're kind of delving into the process a bit more. Um, so speed dial, kind of. Uh, they, they do know me very well there, and what they do is when people work for them uh, – I think they keep a database of like a, a highlight reel of work this actors have done. So when a new project comes in and a new director comes in, uh, they're like, okay, we're doing um, character emotes for, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, some uh, multiplayer game. There's going to be emotes in it, let's say. Uh, so we need to do that today. So then, you know, they'll like show them like maybe, I don't know how many, half a dozen or whatever mm-hmm. reels and be like, uh, Sean's great at this and he's versatile and he can do this. Uh, you know, this woman's really good at this. This guy's really good at this. And then the producer will go, oh, OK, you know, we'll take this person or that person. I do think probably I get recommended more often because I work on a lot of projects like uh, it slowed down recently, but, you know, often if there's someone that's going to be like a common thread from one project to the next, it can often be me, mm-hmm. not net, but not in like lead or even um, uh, like dialogue parts, but like, you know, we're doing emotes for a thing. They know, Oh, Sean's really good at expressing himself non-verbally. we got to do something that looks cool. Right. That's consistent. You got to have to strike a pose of some kind, but we also need his creativity because we don't exactly know what we want. Uh, you know, this character might have to flip a quarter staff around. Sean could do that, right? Cool, right? As opposed <laughs> to an actor who meets nine out of those ten requirements, and then they either have to cut some stuff or do it another day or bring in two actors. I'm, I'm not saying I'm worth two actors or multiple <laughs> actors. I'm just saying my skill set's very well tailored to, to a lot of the type of jobs I get. So much more often I'll get just called in. I'll get an email from my uh, agent that says availability check. Are you free for project siren? Let's say the, they all have code names. Uh, right. That's not a, it's not a real project. Uh, <laughs> or is it? No. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> pro, uh, pro, I just realized that's the exact same delivery as when I go, it might be evil. <laughs> drone there. Um, uh, so, you know, it'll be like, okay, Project Siren, we need Sean for two days to play a soldier, to do emotes, to uh, do living world stuff, whatever. So if it falls, you know, within my, my skill set, I'll go in. And then usually I'll, you know, again, in all modesty, do a pretty good job because I'm pretty good at this. And then the people I work with are like, he's great. So then six months later, hey, we got to come back, do some pickups before launch. Can we get Sean back, please? Because mm-hmm. he remembers the work. We liked working with him. Or, you know, I worked with you on another project two years ago. Now you've been promoted to head of animation for this project. So now you want me to come in. Yes. So that'll happen. Or, but I also submit for just regular general auditions. So, oh, we're doing the new, you know, whatever game. Uh, you know, can we see Sean? Or my agent will submit me for... Like, you know, oh, Sean would be really good as uh, the, the the priest, you know. 
So then I'll self-tape or go and audition for the priest, and they'll either cast me or give me a callback. Or sometimes, like something that happened recently, the audition for a, a, a lead part didn't get it. But then a few weeks later, I got a request to audition for another character right. in that game. And when they're mm-hmm. asking, it's usually a really good sign. It means right. they've, they've conceived of you as that character, at least considered it, you know. Um, so I submitted, and I got the part. So I'm shooting that nice. in six weeks, which is awesome. Nice. nice. Um, yeah, very cool. So that's been a real boon to my career. Uh, mm-hmm. But I also feel like I've really put in – like I've gone through my paces, I've put in the time, I've paid my right. dues just by being present, taking all these small, I don't want to call it unglamorous roles because to me, work is work. Mocap yep. is mocap. Yeah. If I'm doing, okay, uh, turn 90 degrees and run. Okay, turn 180 degrees and run. Turn 90 degrees to your right and then run. Now we'll do it crouched. Now we'll do it kneeling. Now we'll do it at a jog. I'm not like, oh, I want to leave scene with you know uh, dialogue. <laughs> it's still mocap. I still enjoy it. Right. If it's a challenge to my creativity, which is most work, there's nothing mundane you can do in mocap, right? Uh, so if it's a challenge to my creativity, I'm happy. So, you know, that that also makes me, I think, a good person to work with because there's never any ego involved. Nothing's ever too lowbrow for me or, um, you know, outside my comfort zone, which brings me to your third question. Uh, <laughs> a script that made me go say, what? Um, in in Outlast, Outlast, the 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 first person horror yes. game, I great game. Uh, in Outlast two, um, there was <laughs> there were three instant. I'll try to keep this uh, PG thirteen. <laughs> hard, uh, but I'll try. Uh, there were three instances that really kind of took me aback. Actually, four. Um, so I'll go over them quickly. Number one, I came in to do just um, a voice track over like some gameplay of uh, someone walking down, like running down a hallway. And then all the lockers start opening by themselves and like blood's pouring down the walls. And then the character hears something and the player turns around. And when he turns around, there's this freaky ass demon just standing there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they didn't tell me about that part. Right. So. <laughs> I'm in the studio and I'm just they're just playing the footage and I'm I'm reacting in real time, right? Because it's like a like a sample, like uh, a demo. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just doing gameplay because the game wasn't developed then. Um and they, they do, do that in video games. Um as long as it's true to the gameplay, it's you know, it's mm-hmm. no big deal. So I'm you know, I'm like you know, I'm like this, and then the lockers are going and you know, whatever. And then the guy turns around and I just shrieked <laughs> like a terrified four-year-old girl like the highest pitch like, ah! like just like, <laughs> and look through the, the window to the sound booth out of the sound booth and they're just dying right they're just killing themselves laughing and I'm, and they're like oh man too bad we didn't you know you have to adjust the mic for really high-pitched right <laughs> noises. Yeah. oh yeah the pop so that he couldn't use it and i wasn't about to you know it wasn't about to be authentic a second time um right sure but that was a what that was a fun moment uh, another crazy moment was uh when i came in to, i think that was an outlast one and outlast two i came in to because uh, i also did the lead in outlast two which was amazing as well uh i came in and i, <laughs> I go to do the, the 
you know, the, the scene I'm there to do. And Simon, the director, who's the same guy who suggested me for the Deus Ex job, uh, like I said, small community in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, so he's like, all right, I'm gonna give you some context here. Um, I'm not going to pretend to do Simon's accent. He's from New Zealand. He has a wonderful <laughs> Imagine this with a New Zealand accent. He's like, I'm like, so what's happening exactly? He's like, oh, well, this, this is the part where you look down and you realize uh, you're standing in a carpet of dead babies. <laughs> oh, God. Like, oh! And I was like, it's just like the full scope of what we were doing in the game kind of hit home. And it was understandably very disturbing. Um, yes. Yeah. That's literally what you're standing on. Um, so there was that. Uh, there was a scene where my character um, gets grabbed by a bunch of, spoiler alert, uh, big spoiler alert, um, grabbed by a bunch of cultists, I think. Mm-hmm. And he proceeds to get uh, sexually violated. Um, so that was oh, yeah. a pretty massive acting challenge for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because uh, it's not something I can, you know, I can relate to anger, fear, joy, whatever. Uh, that's, you know, outside of my realm of experience. <laughs> yeah, that's probably for the best. But <laughs> yeah. um, but without going into details, let's just say I really committed. To <laughs> oh, God. Um, and then segueing from that, uh, I had this is a bit of a funny story, but I have to word this carefully. I got hired to do motion capture as well for Outlast 2. Yes, I did uh, um, sections as my character, as Nick, with uh, this woman, Erica, who played my wife. We'd, we'd put on mocap suits and, and like act out the cinematic scenes where you know she's getting kidnapped, or I'm screaming uh, her name over and over. Um, but once that was done, the team approached me and said, look, we, we want to hire you to do the mocap for everyone else in the game. All the, the cultists, the, oh, geez. the oh, politic monsters, everything, because they knew I was a good physical character actor. So uh, we went to this motion capture studio that's seven hours outside of the city, uh, a part of a motion capture school. But they have the biggest capture stage, I think, in Quebec, at least, maybe even in Canada, um, but at least in, in the province. So those three really intense days of me like just bending my body and like running around and screaming and crawling on the floor and doing attacks and swings and chasing and all that was was awesome. But there's a scene in the game and I have to preface this by saying I was the only person they hired for this. So I played (laughs) everybody. Okay, keep that in mind. I was everybody. So there's a scene in the game where your where, where Blake, your your character, mm-hmm. so my character, comes across an orgy in in process. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> do the math, gentlemen. So <laughs> you know, so the scene in question, you know, you, you witness all these people getting it on, and then stuff's happening. You can't interact with them, but it's like a cutscene, but it's in game. It's an mm-hmm. in game of you guys know what that is. Yeah. So uh, I had to motion capture everyone in that scene and you know what's funny is uh i'm not someone who imposes a lot of limitations on myself as an actor i don't have a lot of shame i guess you could put it that <laughs> way I, i'm not obscene or anything but right, right. i don't care like you know i auditioned for a play the other day like oh there's some nudity involved you realize they go streaking at one point i'm like that's fine i don't care 
right? Like, uh, I did a photo shoot once where I dressed up as Spider-Man because I had a long story about I had a Halloween costume of Spider-Man. It looked really good. And a photographer wanted to do something for, um, I think it was uh, Pride Month. Um, so he had me hang upside down and he took a photo of, you know, the Spider-Man kissing Mary Jane yep. uh, mm-hmm. in the rain. But instead it was this... Uh, I don't know what he defined himself as, but uh, Plastic Patrick, who's this like very feminine man, but who okay. he's not trans. But I, anyway, I don't want to get into specifics. I don't know them. I'm probably put my foot in my mouth. But, you know, I had to kiss him a few times, you know, hung mm-hmm. upside down. And, and like, again, I don't care. It's like it's for art. It's for whatever. I I don't have anything. Yeah. I've never refused a job so far um, because it was outside of my comfort zone. Sure. You know? Um, porn companies are going to start calling me. Listen, yeah, right. you, you played were... everybody. We need to get this guy. <laughs> Think of the money we'll save. Uh, composite you into the scene with yourself. Um, that being said, um, all this to say in a, in a long-winded, convoluted way is that the team were very aware. I guess they were a bit <laughs> embarrassed or, or shy about it. Um, you know, and I'm fully clothed. Clearly, I'm in, right, a, right. in a mocap suit. Um, the motions I was doing were obviously <laughs> suggestive. Uh, but, you know, like, I'm like, okay, well, I can do a person doing this, and this is the person who's in front of them, and then I'll do a person doing this, and then, ooh, ooh I could do a person doing this. Oh, what if someone, oh, there could be a woman doing this, right? And so, like, I do a, f- a bunch of stuff. Then they're like, okay, great, I think we got to, like, wait, no, no, hold on. There could be a guy doing this, and oh, what if there are three people doing this? And then I'm I've like, never even heard of most of the stuff he's doing. <laughs> and I'm like demonstrating to them as I'm <laughs> pitching the ideas. I'm just, I'm like, oh, this guy could be doing this while this person does that, right? And you could put this person here, and they're just laughing, going, yes, okay, yeah, absolutely, just <laughs> go for it, do it. So uh, that was Sean's uh, fun time adventures uh, with himself. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, 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 last question then, because uh, you've been super generous with your time, and, and, and I'm you glad the questions have been good yeah, yeah. Um, for you, and not you know the same ones you've had to answer before. So this one might might be one you're asked, but you've said those numerous are, times. Oh, sorry, good. I said no. Those are fine too, though. Like, okay. Uh, um, so you've said numerous times uh, throughout this, and you know, prior to us, you're hitting record that you're a gamer yourself. We know. Um, so what are you currently playing and like, what's your game of the year so far to kind of segue off your career for a little bit? That is a question I love getting, uh, even though I've gotten it before. So I'm glad you asked, uh, which is a great question to ask. Uh, right now, right, right, right now I am into for honor. Um, I think it's super fun. I love fighting games. Also, I voiced, I mean, I started playing it because I voiced two characters in it, the conqueror, and the Hitokiri. I also voiced the Japanese Ram Commander. We're talking about um, doing dialects. There's yep. a good example of one. Yeah, absolutely. In a, a mat, in a in a game match mode called Breach, uh, there's a commander. Sometimes he's English sounding, like uh, well French sounding actually, French dialect. But sometimes he's Japanese, and in that in that case, it's me. Uh, so I play a lot of For Honor. I do a lot of gaming with my friend uh, Medea that we play on the weekends. We just go and, you know, chop people up. Uh, Rainbow Six as well. I play mm. with her. Mm. Uh, I just started playing uh, Sniper Elite 4 <laughs> because Ooh. it was a free download with PlayStation yep. Now. Um, and I'm like, I'll try it. It looks like it's probably it's probably some cheap little shooter game. And I love it. It's- <laughs> oh, it's good. Yeah. 
I'm really enjoying it. Um, I just finished Days Gone. Oh, okay. Uh, which I really enjoyed. I love zombie games. I love the concept of the whole swarm mechanics in the game, which was mm-hmm. really well done. Um, prior to that, I finished Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, again, fantastic game. Prior to that, God of War. And prior to that, or maybe after that, I forget the order, uh, Spider-Man. So you're doing work, basically. I'm sensing a PlayStation theme here. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm, I'm a game on PlayStation. So my game of the year, I think it's a it's a toss up between uh, Spider Man and God of War. Okay. I'd never played a God of War game before, so oh, that okay. was a, a new thing for me, and the acting. The voice acting mm-hmm. uh, was incredible in that game. The concepts of combat's just amazing. Yep. Uh, and, you know, I've never in my life played a video game that made me cry within the first, like, two minutes. I was like, have you guys played God of War? Yep, I have. The I first have two minutes with the whole yeah. thing, the burial, mm-hmm. and the falling my eyes out. And cried a few times in the game, which is, is rare for me playing a video game, which shows how great they've become. But yeah. Spider-Man destroyed me at the end. Like, have you guys played Spider-Man? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I was so into that game. And I love that game, too, because I was a massive fan of the Batman Arkham series. Yes. Same. Yeah, yeah, was a great one. Batman. Uh, so to me, this was like their, the, the next iteration of that. It was very mm-hmm. similar in mechanics, and, which is fine. It's absolutely how you need to have a... Yeah. Uh, a Spider-Man game. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was great as well. And another game I play a lot of is Elite Dangerous, which is a space oh, flight yeah. game. Oh, okay. I'm a big fan of just hanging out in the space and doing my own thing. So uh, you see a theme here is a lot of games that involve violence, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> as the, most do now, so it's kind of tough. I also started playing Detroit Become Human. That's a great mm-hmm. game. Because uh, my wife is not much of a gamer, but... Whenever I play very uh, cinematic games, she'll sit and watch me play. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm like, what do you want to do? Do you want to watch movies? Like, ooh, play some Witcher or play some God of War or play some Spider-Man because she's so into the story. Because, you know, games are so cinematic now. Uh, yeah. Witcher 3, also a huge fan of Witcher 3 and the Mass Effect series as well. Um, but I could, I could go on <laughs> for quite a while. Uh, yeah, so... You know, Detroit, I was told, is such a story-driven game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like, hey, you know, honey, that can be the next game we play together. So we, we went through a couple chapters the other day together. We're loving it. Uh, really, really awesome game. Um, yeah, and I got some other games kind of in the wings I'm waiting to get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tend to focus on three, maybe four games at a time. And I tend to want to finish them before I move on to something else. To the point where I won't... I'll like... <laughs> Like, I think it was Days Gone. I pre-ordered it. I couldn't wait to play, but I wasn't done whatever I was playing before. <laughs> Man, that's discipline right there. Yes. Like, I am not touching it until I finish this game because if I start it, I will not get back to it. Mm-hmm. After oh. that game, this game's coming out. And after that game, this other game's coming out. Uh, and especially if it's a game that I want to 100% because there's some games I do platinum if I really enjoy them and if it's not, like, months of grinding, you know, right. to to get a, a trophy i'll tend to kind of finish those off first before i move into the next one so I, I tend to have a first person shooter game that i've got going a third person game that i've got going at some point some kind of racing or flight simulator game 
and usually like a puzzle game and an RPG game. That's good. Oh, dang. That's like Kiss Dungeon. I don't know if oh, you guys yes. have played yes. that game. Probably one of my favorite games in the last five years. Wow. Like, I am a massive fan of, of role-playing. Um, like, I, I have a role-playing group that I role-play with every week, like tabletop role-playing. Nice. Um, awesome. Yeah. a game that I've been running for 19 years now, actually. Wow. wow. Holy cow. Um, so I, I, my role-playing fix I get from, like, tabletop. I almost never play uh, console or computer role-playing games. I haven't played Skyrim. I haven't played Oblivion. I haven't played mm. WoW, uh, World of Warcraft, any of that. Uh, just because you don't have the freedom you have with yeah. tabletop. But Darkest Dungeon had such a compelling story, graphics, mechanics. And again, I know I mentioned this in a lot of games, but as a voice actor, this is important to me. Voice acting mm-hmm. is just so great. Uh, it was so compelling. I played that game, and it's an RPG, bear in mind. I played that game start to finish four times in a row. Dang. Oh, man. I've never done that with any other game before. So, yeah, I was a massive fan of that game. And they announced a second one, so I can't yep. wait for it to come Yep, yeah. they did. They did. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of all we had. So, I mean, thank you so much. You've been, you've been super awesome. This has been a, a lot of fun. Um, yes. Yes. so we, we appreciate it talking to you guys and, uh, you know, down the line, if you guys want to chat some more, I'd be more than happy to come back and talk some more. I, I clearly have a, a lot to, <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> hey, we love it. I mean, th- here's the thing. So to kind of get off topic a little bit. The things we cover tonight is things I think a lot of people haven't heard or understand really as far as like the motion capture process and what it takes to do this. They think like, oh, you just hop in the studio and record your lines and call it a day. You know, where's my check? Walk out the door. There's a lot more to it. So I can genuinely appreciate everything that you've shown here and and taught us and the audience about what's going on. So I I can appreciate it. It's definitely something different uh, for us as well, which is which is awesome. Yeah. Um, but, but before we let you go, is there anything you want to plug or where people can find you and, and link up and follow you uh, on the internet or, or elsewhere? Uh, nothing I can really plug without getting in trouble. Sure. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you want to find me, uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, just uh, Sean Bechu on Twitter. Uh, I'm on Instagram as well. Uh, Instagram, I'm Chubay. So my last name, Bechu, but kind of flipped. So C-H-O-O-B-A-I instead of B-A-I-C-H-O-O. So I'm Chubay on Instagram, uh, Sean Bechu on Twitter. I also have a fan page on Facebook, though I don't really update that super often. I'm mostly on Twitter and Instagram these days, less on Facebook. And I had a website, which was SeanBechu.com, where I had like demos, photos, and updates, but it's currently down as I'm making a new one. Uh, so you can check back there later, uh, SeanBechu.com, and I should have uh, some more stuff there. Yeah. Awesome. That's pretty much it. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. And most always, the most important thing is that we ask that you never stop gaming. This has been a PSVG production. Any music, sound effects, or the like is owned by their respective copyright holders. No infringement is intended. The views expressed in this production are those of the individual contributor and may not necessarily reflect PSVG. This production may not be repurposed, reused, or redistributed without the express written consent of PSVG. 
PSVG is powered by patrons at patreon.com slash PSVG. Become a patron to get special perks, including access to exclusive content.